0: I'm really excited for where we're at this morning. We're going to be looking at what is, in essence, the heart of God's law in the Ten Commandments. What might be the most well-known passage of the entire Bible. Think of great documents in our society. Maybe think about the Constitution. But I don't think that there is a single document that has ever existed, that has had more impact on civilization than the Ten Commandments. That's where we're at this morning. The heart of God's law. I think most of us think about the law and relate law to perhaps something like our tax codes. Or maybe corporate policies or or corporate handbooks, books of do's and don'ts, rules. And in general, I I don't think people's attitudes towards the law is necessarily positive. I'll give you an example. I was at a restaurant last week with my lovely wife. We had a date night, and we went to Blaze Pizza. You guys ever been to Blaze Pizza? Pretty good stuff. It's kind of a modern, uh, trendy, hip, cool, you know, pizza place. And on the walls, they have their marketing slogans, their marketing campaign, plastered all over the walls in murals. I want to read a few to you. One of them said, chart your own course. Another said, there's no wrong way to play. And my favorite, if you follow all the rules, you miss all the fun." It's a Katharine Hepburn quote. And those are all common attitudes about the law. That one that says there, there's no wrong way to play is, is kind of funny to me as a father of a two-year-old and a four-year-old who love to play. My boys have this battery-powered red Jeep, and it's pretty cool. It's one of those ones that they can push the electric gas pedal and they can steer it and drive around, like power wheels, and they're pretty cool. Now, they have... Like, built-in uh, built music, and, and mine has a remote control so I can drive them around. It's pretty cool. But I tell you, if I allowed them to, if I didn't have guidelines, boundaries, and rules for them to play it within, they would drive that red Jeep right down Weir Canyon, headed to McDonald's for chicken nuggets and ice cream. And in their minds, it would be the best idea. Little do they know if they do that, they're going to die. (laughs) Oh, I think there is a wrong way to play. Thankfully, in mom and dad's wisdom, well, mostly mom's wisdom, we set up rules for them to follow, to ensure that they live, literally, to ensure they don't die, (laughs) keeps them alive. Looking back one chapter, we're in chapter 5 now, but looking back to chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them. Why? That you may live. See, for Christians, God's law is something to delight in. It's the very thing that gives us life, and it sets us free To live the purpose for which we were created. What is that purpose? It's to worship the one true God, as we're going to discover in the Ten Commandments. See, God's law, it's not like a tax code. It's not uh, corporate policy. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. I mean, don't get me wrong, there, there are do's and don'ts, but that is not the heart of the law. It's the very thing that sets us free. It gives us life. I'm really excited to, to dig into our text in chapter 5, but, but before we do, I want us to cover some, some basic aspects of what the law is going to accomplish in order to deepen and, and widen our understanding of the Ten Commandments. And We won't get to spend a ton of time on the, the, the individual commandments themselves, but I think most of us have probably studied them, maybe even memorized them. But I do want us to understand some of the whys behind God's law. The first thing that the law does is it gives us knowledge of our sin. The law gives us an intellectual understanding of what sin is beyond what just our human conscience can do. In Romans 3.20, it says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. See, how how can you know if you're speeding if there's no speed limit? I mean, you might be able to feel a sense of danger, it's your conscience, but, but how can you know that you are speeding? It's only when you see a speed limit sign that your speeding is exposed, and that's in essence what the law is going to do to our sin. It's a light, and it's a very bright shining light. That points onto our sin so that we have to acknowledge our sin against a holy God. And it's only with our sin exposed that we can begin to understand what the human condition of the heart is. There's a fancy term in Christianity, it's called total depravity. It's our sin nature, it means that we're dead in our sin that apart from Christ, that we're enemies with God, that we're hostile towards God, that we're wicked, depraved. The second thing that the law teaches us is that we need a Savior. In that same verse we just read in Romans 3.20, notice how it says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. That means the law can't save you. It means the law can't make you right before God. That's all justified means. That we cannot be in right standing before God through the works of the law. And the reason for that is in order to be worthy of God, we have to be able to fulfill the law to perfection. God is holy. He is perfect. And he cannot be in the presence of sin. So even just one broken commandment, and even if you followed them all, your heart hasn't followed them all. So we're going to explore later. But because God is holy, he demands holiness. In first, first Peter it says, be holy as God is holy. The standard is perfection. And Because we can't follow God's law perfectly, we cannot be made right before God through works of the law. So then there's a natural question then, if, if we can't work our way to salvation, how do we do it? The law, it's going to teach us, it's going to coach us, it's going to instruct us, and it's all going to point us to Jesus Christ. God's law, there was a requirement for an atonement for sin. All that means is a payment. And God designed a sacrificial system of animals to show Israel that a payment for sin is necessary. And the animals symbolize that payment. In God's design of the sacrificial system, it's not an accident that God required that animal to be a perfect, unblemished animal. Are you seeing how this is pointing to Jesus? You couldn't just give your your three-legged... One-eyed, one-eared goat. You had to give your perfect, your best goat before God. It's all an illustration. It's all pointing to Jesus who would serve as the ultimate, the perfect sacrifice. Teaching Israel that a Savior was coming. And the animals were simply a picture of that. Teaching them that faith in the coming Savior, was the only means of salvation. God's law, it doesn't make us right. It does the opposite. It condemns us, and it shows us that we need Jesus Christ if we were to be made right in good standing before the Lord. In Galatians, Paul writes about this idea of the law being our schoolmaster in other words it's it's our tutor it's our teacher it's our instructor all pointing us to Christ who would pay the perfect and ultimate sacrifice once and for all for the atonement of sin the third thing that god's law is going to do is it's going to set god's people apart from the world and unto himself This is where we're at in the Ten Commandments. God's law is going to make Israel different than the rest of the world. As part of his original covenant with the Israelites when God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. Looking back at Deuteronomy 4, verse 5 through 8, I'll read it it for you. It says, see, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me. That you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession possession of it. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Who when they hear all these statutes will say, get this, this is awesome. Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there? that has statutes and and rules so righteous as this law that I set before you today. You see what God's doing here is he's setting his people apart. And he's going to use God's people set apart as a means to bring glory to himself. Through creating this great society, this great nation, this great culture of Israel. And Israel is going to serve as a beacon to the surrounding nations of all of God's glory I want us to see the parallels here. In the New Testament, 1 Peter 2 9, one of my favorite verses says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. It's no different for us as a church. And this is Peter writing to the Gentiles. We are a chosen race. For what purpose? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness, which is slavery, into the marvelous light, righteousness. God saved us from our slavery, set us free, and he's setting us apart to live for him. For the purpose of reaching this world and bringing glory to God. That is the purpose of the church as a whole. This church and, and you and I individually. That's what we were created for. And, and look, at, look at what God says he's going to do in that verse we just read. It says, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. That's pretty cool. We get to benefit. God's law and the setting apart of, part of his people is not only going to serve as a beacon, but it's going to elevate human society. It's going to elevate the nation of Israel, creating a, a system that requires respect for human dignity. It requires that people respect each other, requires, requires that people love each other, that we treat each other well. And God calls that a wise and understanding people. Remember, in the surrounding nations, there was all kinds of wickedness, all kinds of lawlessness, all kinds of atrocities, idol worship, human sacrifices, immorality, not Israel. God is going to raise the standards for Israel so that when the surrounding nations see Israel, they say, who is their God, this wise and understanding God? Have you ever thought about your life like that? Are you individually shining as a beacon to the world by the way that you honor God? When your surrounding nations see your life may it be a neighbor, a, a coworker, friend, family member do they see something different in you? Do they see God ele- how they have elevated you to point to His glory? in the ceremonial law in Israel there, there were certain things that the Israelites weren't allowed to touch they weren't allowed to eat they didn't the clothes types of clothes types of fabrics they didn't wear things they didn't do places they didn't go and and, and that's all part of god setting his people apart you see in, in pagan worship for example th- there were certain fabrics that, that they they wore as part of their Idolatry, part of their idol worship, part of their sacrifices. So it wasn't it that the fabrics themselves were bad. It was that those were used in pagan in idol worship. So God said, "No, no, no. Israel, you're not going to be like that. You're not going to wear those things. I want you to be set apart. He called them to be different. Now we're not under the ceremonial law. But does your life look different? The heart of the law applies. As Christians, the age of grace and freedom, there are still places we shouldn't go. There are still things we shouldn't do. Philosophies we shouldn't buy into. Are you living your life set apart? We don't want to look like the rest of the world. We want to look purpose that God created us, created us for. You see, God, God's law is, is the exact opposite of limiting. It's the very thing that's going to set us free so we can live for the purpose which we were created for. That's to worship God. That's what the Ten Commandments are. They're, they're a summary, if you will. The basic elements The the fundamentals of a worship-filled, free life set apart for God's glory. Let's go ahead and dig into our text. We're We're in Deuteronomy 5, starting in verse 1. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. And you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Oreb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. So Mo- Moses here is he's, he's continuing his, his sermon to Israel, and, and he's passing the baton, if you will, to this younger generation of Israelites. And he reminds them that the covenant that God made with their fathers is now their covenant. I want us to notice something. You're going to see two words repeated by Moses over and over again. And we've already seen them several times now, but I bet you missed them. They're an easy two words to miss or or to gloss over, but they're critical. And there's something important we can learn. Be careful. Moses is repeatedly going to say, be careful. He says, hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Remember, the, the older generation, including Moses, they were barred from entering the promised land because of their disobedience. I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I kind of feel for Moses. have been in slavery in Egypt and seeing God do amazing things, parting the Red Sea, being rescued from slavery out of Egypt, Moses being faithful for most of his life through the desert. 40 years, 40 years of trying to get to the promised land. And here he is standing at the border. And he's pleading with God, saying, God, please let me in. Please let me just see it. And God says, You're not going in. Oof. It's because of disobedience. Be careful. Sin has serious consequences, and that's just as true for us as it is for Israel. And if we want to live a free life that serves our purpose, we need to be careful. Because sin obstructs us from living that free life. So next time you face temptation, I don't know what what it's going to be. Next time you face temptation, I want you to hear Moses in your brain. Be careful to learn my statutes and do them. Are we seeing the seriousness of sin? I mean, Moses got barred from entering the promised land. And sometimes as Christians, I don't think we, we do respect the severity of sin enough in this age of grace. Sometimes we look at, at sin as being the, something that we did that was bad. Oh, it's more than bad. Sin is, is dangerous. It has serious consequences, serious implications. Look no further than our culture to see the, just the ramifications, the destruction that sin creates. Are we being careful? All right, we're going to dig into the Ten Commandments now. We're in verse 6. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, "'but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. "'On it you shall not do any work. "'You or your son or your daughter "'or your male servant, your female servant, "'your ox, your donkey, or any of your livestock, "'or the sojourner who is within your gates, "'that your male servant or your female servant "'may rest as well as you. "'You shall remember that you were a slave "'in the land of Egypt.'" and the Lord your God brought you from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. We'll stop right there for now. In the first four commandments, there's, there's a theme. Maybe you picked up on it. All four of those have something in common that I want us to understand. In Matthew 22, Jesus is is. Having a he's gonna have a conversation with the Pharisees. If you recall, the the Pharisees are a group of religious elites. And they they practiced the law to the T. But there was a problem. They did all the things, they checked all the boxes, they missed the purpose of the law. Maybe you've been there. Checked all the boxes. Come to church every Sunday. Maybe you even serve. You sing the songs. Recite the lines. The law is deeper than that. There's a heart of the law that we need to understand. So in an attempt to test Jesus, the Pharisees pose a question. They they ask, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus responds masterfully, saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. What Jesus just said is exactly what the first four commandments are all about. Loving God. And I just love God is just so smart. He knows how weak and and futile we are. and He he just lays it all out there for us nicely. command you to love me here is how you do that the first thing is he, he says i am the lord your god and i will not compete with any false gods the first commandment says i am the one who rescued you from slavery because i am the one who rescued you you will worship me no other false god that you made up rescued you israel i did you will worship me and you will worship me alone. This one's important. Everything else is hinged on whether we understand the first commandment. If we don't understand the first commandment, if the Lord your God, we just sang it, the Lord your God, if the Lord your God is not the Lord your God, the rest of the nine commandments are all for naught. The rest of the Bible. Is all, your faith is all for naught. Everything is hinged on whether the Lord your God is the Lord your God. we got to get this one. And second, we are not to worship idols. There were two, there were two major false gods that had made their way into Israel's worship on their 40-year journey, and, and those two got, false gods were Baal and Ashtoreth. Baal was the god of wealth, and Ashtoreth was the goddess of sex. Hmm. Since we don't see carved image worship as often in our society, I, I think we tend to, to think that idol worship is not as prevalent in our culture But having just mentioned Baal and Ashtoreth, do you think we have Baal and Ashtoreth worship going on in America? Do you see people worshiping wealth? Do you see people worshiping sex? Absolutely. Some might say that we have more idol worship now than there's ever been. In idol worship, it's, it's not limited to Baal and Ashtoreth worship. But there are all kinds of carved images that pagan culture came up with. Rep- represented different gods. We have all kinds of idols in our society. May it be popularity, self-image, success, material things, you name it. The list just goes on and on and on. There are so many things that would... Can it suck us into that trap of idol worship. Any of those things can be an idol. Are you being careful? The third commandment says, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. It, it teaches us the, uh, the importance of holding God, even his name, in high regard. God doesn't want his name to be diminished. Because when we diminish his name, Diminishes his reputation and diminishes his holiness. Even t- his name should be held in reg- high regard. His name is his reputation. There are a few ways that we can do this. One, I think we all know this one. Using God's name as a swear word. Be one way we can take his name in vain. Two, we can use his name carelessly carelessly or flippantly without giving thought. And three, by our h- hypocrisy, just is to, to profess to be a Christian, to profess to believe in God with your mouth, but your life doesn't match. Hypocrisy, that diminishes the name of God. And I see that, I think it was Gandhi that said, I love your Christ, but not your Christ." Christians. We're not to be hypocritical because it diminishes God's reputation. In the fourth commandment, it says we are to observe the Sabbath. We continue to see how God desires to be worshipped. But we've got to be careful with this one. We, we need to understand the heart of the law here. Because if we don't, we're, we end up with a, just a mess, a web of man-made rules and regulations for what it means to keep the Sabbath holy. I'll give you some examples. Ancient rabbis taught that on the Sabbath, a man could not carry something in his right hand or his left hand, could not carry something across his chest or on his shoulder. But somehow it was okay to carry something on the back of your hand. You could carry something on your foot. You can carry something on your elbow. You could carry something in your ear. You can carry something in your hair. Somehow, it was less work to carry something in your hair than on your hand. I don't know about you guys. It seems like carrying something in your hair would be pretty difficult. <laughs> there are these man-made traditions all, all sought one thing, is to, 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 how, to keep the Sabbath holy. How do we do that? They came up with these just regulated systems. And even in observant Jewish homes today, you can't turn on a light or a stove or any switch. It's forbidden to drive certain distances, to even make a telephone call. Just man-made rules, man-made systems. This is what we call in the Christian church legalism. See, We need to understand God's heart or the Sabbath. So he's setting up a specific time to worship God together corporately as a nation. And he's also going to give humans a, a day of rest. Our bodies are just designed like that. And I think this part oh, might, might be overlooked, but it's so cool to me. Part of the elevating of the, uh, the society, raising the standards. And it's all going to point to to God's glory and and God's goodness. God's creating a system of respect for human dignity. And notice it says that even slaves, foreigners, women, all at the time had little or no rights. All people being elevated by God, required to be treated with basic human dignity. That's God doing that. It's pretty cool. God is worthy to be worshipped. He is the one true God, and we are to worship Him and love Him for who He is and what He's done. It's the essence of the first four commandments, to to love God with all our mind, our heart, and our strength. If you love God with all your mind, your heart, and your strength, you hit all four. Continuing on, let's, let's read through the last of our text. We're in verse 16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Going back to our scene, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, he explains the the great commandment, just to love God. He goes on to explain the second greatest commandment. Jesus says, and the second is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Saying to love people. I don't know about you guys, but I I would consider myself a simple man. Some people would take that as an insult. I don't. I just love how beautiful and how simple the Christian faith is. It's not about systems, it's not about checking the boxes, it's not about how often you come to church, it's about love, love God and love people, that is the essence of the Christian faith, simple, not necessarily easy, but it's simple, 613 Old Testament laws, boil it down to two things. Love God and love people. And that's what these last commandments are all about. How we love people. I don't think it's any accident that God starts with the family in the fifth commandment. We could spend an entire morning talking about this. but The, the, the family is absolutely critical for a healthy, thriving nation. That serves the purpose that we were created for, which again is to to glorify God, to serve as a beacon for the surrounding nations. Look at God's understanding. Look at God's goodness. If there was a single most important building block to any healthy nation, this is it. Church, we need strong families. We need marriages to thrive. We need children to obey their parents. But parents, that's largely on you to teach your children to obey. They won't do it on their own. <laughs> I feel like we're losing that in our society. We need strong families. It's sad. You can see the, the, the wreckage. You, you t- look at statistics in our country and socioeconomic problems. Huge majority of it ties back to Broken homes, broken families. If we're going to fulfill our purpose as a church of living lives that are set apart for the purpose of pointing to God's glory, we have to have strong families. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery. Again, all testimonies of a, of a society, society that loves and values other people. And again, they're all fundamental building blocks of a thriving nation set apart for God's glory. God elevating the nation of Israel so that the surrounding nations say, Who is their wise? Who is their understanding? God. God. You might recall one of Jesus' teaching about murder and adultery out of Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 21, it says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Are you seeing the heart of God's law here? We're to love each other. We're to care for each other, to lift each other up, to respect each other, and that is going to honor God. That is what God calls a good and understanding society, a wise and understanding society. What better place than the church to model that? The ninth commandment says, you shall not bear false witness. Unfortunately, this is something that happens in the church far too often. And again, it comes as a result of not loving others. When there's malice in your heart, when you're angry with somebody, when you're upset, when you've been offended, it becomes pretty easy to bear false witness, doesn't it? Dragging someone's name through the mud. Slandering. Spreading a lie about somebody. Or even when you, you get involved in, in things and in, in business that you have no place in being in. The spreading of second, third, fourth-hand information. They're all forms of bearing false witness. And when this gets into the church, it's just sad. It just creates division. And we're not called to be divided. We're called to be united. We've got to be careful when somebody rubs you the wrong way, when somebody offends you, somebody hurts your feelings. Be careful. And our last commandment, you shall not covet. I was at a wedding a couple weeks ago. In Newport Beach, Newport Beach, yeah. And the wedding was on this beautiful boat. It was like a uh, you know New Orleans bayou style boat, just absolutely beautiful. And we set sail from the dock, and they make a couple trips out to the ocean, back and forth. And it had been a while since I had been in Newport Bay, but I was on this boat and just gazing around. I was like, "Wow, there is a lot of money sitting in this harbor." Just for fun, I looked at real estate prices the other night. $3,000 a square foot. Not uncommon. And just every it's $10 million house, $15 million house, $20 million, and there's hundreds of them. <laughs> and everyone has this luxury, probably $500,000, maybe a million dollar yacht in front of it. It's easy to covet. Just looking around, it's like, oh, well, I want a boat. <laughs> How come I can't have a vacation house? <laughs> that word covet, it, it, it literally means to, to pant after. It's the itch to have what someone else has because they have it. I read a great commentary on the, on the, on the progression of covetous, uh, covetousness I want to share with you. It says, covetousness works like this. The eyes look upon the object. The mind admires it. The will goes over to it, and the body moves to possess it. In this crazy social media world that we live in, there's huge temptation to covet. People posting every vacation trip, and that's not wrong. Posting perfect family pictures. We all love to showcase our perfect lives. There's a lot of temptation to see and to want. Why can't I go on that vacation? Why can't I have a perfect family? In reality, none of our lives are perfect. It's just we showcase the perfect parts. If you're living for Christ, if you're living for the purpose that we've been talking about, living set apart for God's glory, your purpose, your, your treasure is in heaven. Jesus said it best. I'm quoting Jesus a lot. That's on purpose. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, Take heed, beware. You guys see it again? Be careful. Take heed and beware of covetousness. It's a hard word to say. Covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Man In closing, most of us who have been going to church for a length of time now have, have probably heard of the word "redeemed." you guys all heard that word before? Redeemed." It's kind of a nice, churchy word. Have you given thought much thought what it means spiritually? you might, after church, maybe you're going to go to head over to in and out, right? You redeem your 10 bucks for a number one, double-double. I like to take my kids to Chuck E. Cheese. I redeem $20 for, t- for tokens, and they spend those tokens on games, and they get tickets, and then they take that $20 in tokens, and they redeem their tickets for a $0.10 spider ring. <laughs> but it's so fun. I love watching them play. That word redeem, it means it's, it's, it's a business term. It's, it's a this for a that, a transaction, an exchange. literally means to buy out of the market. There's a Greek word, though, that I want us to know and learn together. It's called apolotrosis. And I want us as a church to just say it together on three, all right? Apolotrosis. One, two, three. Apolotrosis. It's similar to the meaning of redeem, but it, it has an even more specific meaning. This Greek word, the, the, the apollotrosis, it's, it's really the, the, the story of Israel. The Ten Commandments, the entire Bible. Apollotrosis, it's, it's God's redemptive plan for mankind. In the Bible days, slavery, unfortunately, was a part of culture, a part of society intertwined with everyday life. You could go to a slave market and buy a slave. And in those times, it wasn't that uncommon. If if you had a, a family member or a relative that was in slavery, you as a family member could go to the market just like anybody and buy that slave out of slavery, not for the purpose of working them, but for the purpose of setting them free. That's what apolitrosis means. Are you guys seeing that in the story of Israel? Who rescued Israel from slavery? God did. That's what it means to be redeemed. And God's saying, I rescued you from slavery. I took you out of Egypt. I took you from out of captivity under Pharaoh. I parted the Red Seas. I led you out. I got you through the wilderness and I've got you right to the edge of the promised land. I purchased you out of slavery and I am going to set you free. Not so that you can do whatever you want. Not so that you can chart your own course. Not so you can play the way that you want to play. But I'm setting you free so you can be my beacon to the surrounding nations. so, so, That you can be my people. When people see you, the church, that's you and I, that they see my understanding, my goodness, my wisdom. That applies to us. In 180, we're in the book of Ephesians right now, and we just wrapped up one of what some might call the the, the greatest passages in the entire Bible. That's Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And it's it's basically the gospel in a nutshell. And in, this, in the start of that passage, it says that we're dead in our sin. So Israel was cap, was captive. Israel was in bondage and in slavery, but we too, spiritually, we are in slavery. And Ephesians says that we're dead to our sin. That we're helpless, but because of God, we're not hopeless. And that passage, is, it goes on to say two of what might be the greatest words in the entire Bible. That we're dead in our sin, but God... But God, being rich in mercy, takes us out of Egypt and sets us free, parts our Red Seas. He sets us free to live for his kingdom, to live for his purpose, to live for his glory. Not so that we can do whatever we want, but to live a life that's set apart as his chosen people. We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim his excellencies. That is the purpose of the church. That is your purpose. It's my purpose. We all share that purpose. We should be united as a church in that purpose. As the band comes up, go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful, so grateful, so blessed what you've done for us. We as a church all are. We thank you that you rescued us from our captivity. Our captivity of our deadness and sin. We're thankful for those two words, but God, being rich in mercy, saved us from our wretchedness. Saved us from our righteousness. For those of us who put our faith, our hope, and our trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, let us be a, a, a beacon of your goodness. A lighthouse, if you will. So when people see our lives and when people see our church, that they would see your wisdom, see your understanding, see your goodness, see your power, see your justice, see your righteousness. Let us live our lives in a, in a way that just honors that. Let us be different. We don't want to look like the world. We don't want to partake in the things of the world. It's all idolatry. Or let us live set apart so we can honor you and worship you you, the one true God. Lord, we thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.